So at this point in time, we've got three platforms that we've launched. Uh, we've individually raised money for them. Obviously, uh, we funded them ourselves initially and then raised outside capital. And uh, these are technology platforms that actually uh, do try and disrupt uh, or find solutions to current problems that are uh, in the edtech space at this point in time. Monday, Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Thinking Project. As always, if you're not part of the text group, please join. You can text podcast to 801-441-3705 to get exclusive early updates, to get exclusive offers from our sponsors, and of course, just to stay up with the podcast. Uh, The text group is the greatest way to do that. You can also do it through the newsletter by going to daltonkjensen.com. So with all that being said, uh, I have a fantastic guest for you today. If you guys have listened to the podcast for any amount of time, you know that I really love to talk about education disruption and what the future of education looks like. And I got to do that today with Rajesh Sagi, who is the owner and co-founder of three uh, separate education disruption companies. He'll go over those as we go throughout the podcast, but it was absolutely fantastic. He has a lot of experience. There was a lot of knowledge in this episode, and I really believe you guys will enjoy it. So without further ado, Rajesh Sagi, and thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome, everybody. This is Dalton Jensen, and you're tuning into The Thinking Project. All right, Rajesh, we're uh, rolling. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for uh, saying yes to come on uh, The Thinking Project. And I really appreciate your time. It's my pleasure, Dalton. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So uh, now, from what I understand, you're a former uh, Goldman Sachs. You're in that. You're in that company, and then you have since founded and are currently the partner at True Green Capital. And uh, yes, I'm a shareholder there. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Well, and I'm curious to know just more about that. So yeah, I know that. You know, we met through Ben, and he and you guys told me a little bit about True Green Capital. But I'm curious, in your own words, uh, how, what what you do there and what True Green Capital is all about. So, uh, I I'm a, I'm a shareholder there, which is a member mm-hmm. there. I founded it along with one other colleague who still works there, and is a partner, is an operating partner, and uh, primarily it's uh, it's a private equity fund that owns a boatload of uh, solar farms across the United States. And uh, so early in 2010, 2011, we came up with the business model on how it would work. Solar was quite new in the United States then. And since then, it's becoming uh, more and more uh, cost-effective to install solar in the United States and more at par with uh, generating electricity from fossil fuels and other traditional types of uh, electricity generating uh, uh, mechanisms. So um, that's what True Green does. It's laser focused on solar and uh, uh, they own uh, uh, farms, uh, solar farms in 14 states. Maybe it's a little bit more now. And Mm -hmm. uh, 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 it's a great team running the projects and uh, uh, solar is going to become one of the most predominant uh, sources to generate electricity here in the coming years 
So while it was very new in 2010 and 11, when we started now, it's basically uh, getting into the mainstream in, in many various ways. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Virtual Assistant University. This is my online course to teach you how to start your career as a virtual assistant and start making consistently $1,500 to $2,000 every month using skills you already have. In the course, I go over how to define the skills that you'll offer, how to find your first client, and I even guarantee you your very first client through my network. It's a no-brainer. Go to vauniversity.co. That's vauniversity.co and grab your package. Use code THINK10 at checkout to get 10% off and start your career today as a virtual assistant and earn money on the side like never before. Yeah, I see a lot of like solar farms, like in Utah, I see a lot of solar farms. I see, I mean, obviously like selling solar and putting it on homes is a big deal, but I've, I've seen a lot of pushback though, like putting solar like panels on homes. Uh, like I was talking with a, a colleague of mine and they were, you know, they were doing it a lot in Hawaii, which would be like a pretty prime place when it's not raining in Hawaii to put solar panels there. But they were getting a lot of pushback uh, from the local electricity companies uh, there. So I'm curious just to maybe hear your two cents on how this is going to evolve and what might need to happen in that kind of with those kind of dynamics for solar to be more accessible to the consumer? So what happens is in the solar world, it's always a matter of jurisdiction and timing. Uh, okay. What, uh, uh, as, as you, you probably hear the mandates, okay, by 2030, XYZ amount of electricity, 30% needs to come from renewable sources. In the year 2050, we want to be net uh, zero. So the mandates always come from the government and then different states in the United States, they implement those differently. Like, uh, for example, um, I can tell you New Jersey uh, uh, implements a, a program where they basically, you've got to buy for, for every uh, utility that uh, uh, produces uh, carbon to, uh, uh, to sell electricity into uh, to New Jersey residents or businesses, they've got to buy an equal number of, or a set number of uh, carbon credits, which are called like renewable energy certificates to offset the carbon footprint that they're creating. So every state has their own program. And then based on that, uh, they give incentives. And then, it, uh, and because solar has a pretty long shelf life now, projects have a, they have no moving parts. It can, they can keep generating electricity for almost 30, 40 years now. So oh, wow. uh, from an investment point of view, it becomes pretty lucrative or, or at least uh, decently lucrative for investors to come in and have a very steady income over the in income streams over those periods of time. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a, that's amazing. And I mean, solar is, I mean, that, you know, like you said, is really just going to be a really important part of the future as we start to come into like our own, uh, you know, trying to find ways to to have renewable energy and things like that. And I think it's a great way to do it. I, I've seen a lot of really cool uses for solar and uh, and it's just, I mean, the more innovation that comes, the the better it's going to be. But I'm curious for you, Rajesh, how did you start True Green Capital? How did you come into the solar space? Tell us that story. Um, that story is very interesting. I was, um, uh, uh, I was uh, in 2008, I was running a company which eventually got sold uh, and 
um, I happened to visit uh, uh, Spain and uh, the countries of Germany and Spain were at that time the leading solar uh, providers uh, almost on the planet. And I happened to come across somebody who basically, uh, somebody I knew who owned a few solar farms and I got to see actually the financials and the economics of how it worked there. And uh, pretty much brought that over here and said, this is uh, an area of the future. And uh, I met up with one of my buddies who's basically uh, uh, is one of the operating partners of True Green today. And uh, we basically decided to do this and, uh, uh, and, 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 and do this in the United States. It was different. It was slightly different uh, from what was happening in, from the business model that was in Spain or, or in Germany. But, uh, but it, 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 it was a workable model. And then since then, it's evolved. We've got a fantastic team there that's been uh, uh, driving this. I don't have any day-to-day uh, -day operational uh, duties in the company. I'm just a shareholder, yeah. as, I, as, I, as I mentioned to you. But yeah. uh, the team there has done a phenomenal job building more and more and more. But, but uh, True Green Capital, I, you're, a, you're a shareholder there now, but True Green Capital, when, when you started it, um, has since evolved. Like when you guys, when you first founded it, I guess, um, what was that process like? How did, uh, I mean, I know you were kind of taking ideas and bringing them over, but I'm just curious to see how you, I mean, maybe got the buy-in necessary. Was it difficult for you to start? Were, were people questioning whether solar was going to be in the future or not? Yeah, um, there were two aspects of it. I mean, solar is, is a company that you can't really do it out of a garage. It's very, very capital <laughs> intensive, right? So um, uh, basically, uh, once we started it, uh, we, we did spend a few months um, uh, sitting in an office in Manhattan, uh, figuring out the business plan and getting all the docs done for a capital raise. And then for the next, uh, and those were pretty uh, difficult times post 2008 and nine, when um, uh, we'd just gone through the crash the financial crash on Wall Street. Mm -hmm. um, but we found some good partners who became partners in the firm. And collectively, we went out and uh, raised uh, uh, raised money. We're able to raise money based on uh, expertise we demonstrated and uh, based on relationships we had. And then uh, uh, we built on that. Okay. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. Um, and I, yeah, I can only imagine like, Come, like talking about a solar idea uh, right after, you know, the 2008, 2009 stuff going on. I bet that was, I bet that was pretty, pretty insane. Um, and then, and so that is kind of the, how it starts with triggering capital. But another thing you're, you, you mentioned, uh, but you know, when we spoke before this podcast was um, kind of disrupting the education space. So what are you doing in, in like that innovative uh, education space? Because to kind of give you just a, a, you know, what I think of that is it, I got both of my, you know, I got my bachelor's degree online, uh, totally online. Um, I'm, I'm pursuing an MBA and that'll be a hundred percent online and, and kind of like a, an accelerated program, um, which I think is already like when I, when I got my bachelor's degree, online education was like still pretty new and only a few colleges were doing it if they had online classes at all. But certainly the one, the college that I went to was one of the only ones that had of like full four year program that you could do online. So I thought that that was pretty cool. And then you're kind of seeing this stuff. And, and of course we're in right now, what we, what we, what has been coined the great resignation 
and you have a lot of people, you know, wanting bachelor's and master's degrees and tons of experience for entry level, entry level jobs. And, and we're still fighting like this credential stuff. So I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on like education, where that's going, what, what's going on right now. Sure, absolutely. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that is my daytime job. And uh, I do basically like to build companies. And uh, uh, um, post uh, uh, one side, uh, taking a backseat at Trooping Capital, I did start a data analytics company, which we sold in 2019, uh, in November 2019. And then uh, basically driving my daughter down to Philadelphia one day in uh, November uh, of 2019, uh, she basically says, uh, Dad, uh, uh, education is really has a lot of problems. It's really a mess. And she's a very bright young lady. And uh, she is, uh, she's a senior right now at, uh, at UPenn. And so driving her down to uh, Philadelphia, uh, we started discussing all the problems in the, in the, in the, in the higher education space and what her friends were going through. And uh, so we knew that there was a problem. So we came back and researched uh, uh, for a few months and uh, decided that this is uh, uh, an industry that needs um, a lot of help, if not uh, a lot of disruption. Uh, there are some untenable things that are happening in education, which need to be, uh, which which need to be. There's uh, something's going to give somewhere, right? And yeah. so, the um, <laughs> so solutions need to be founded, and uh, and 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 so we said, why not? So at this point in time, we've got three platforms that we've launched. Uh, we've individually raised money for them. Obviously, uh, we funded them ourselves initially, and then raised uh, uh, outside capital. And these are technology platforms that actually uh, do try and disrupt uh, uh, or, 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 or find solutions to current problems that are uh, in the ed tech space at this point in time. So I'm curious then, um, you mentioned that you and your daughter uh, were kind of talking about a lot of the problems that were in the education space. I agree with you, but I'm curious to know what what you think some of the biggest problems in the education space are? So if you, I mean, I'm, I'm going to quote an article, uh, which is, I think, in the January 2020 issue of the Higher Ed magazine. Uh, they did a okay. survey for the trustees of all the public universities and also the trustees of private universities. So um, more than 92% of both, I mean, I think it was 88% or one and 92% of the other, uh, the, the top five problems are all financially related. That is, is there value in the degree we are getting? Where is tuition headed, yeah. which is untenable? Where is the, you know, the, the student debt crisis? We are students taking on too much, uh, too much, uh, uh, too many loans that they won't be able to basically pay back over a set course of time, et cetera. Mm, and, uh, yeah. uh, and, 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 and all the way down to the financial sustainability of the education, in, in educational institute itself. Now, um, they're very, very wealthy institutions, right? So they'll do just fine, and, and obviously there's great demand, but, 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 but there are others that actually we're starting to see um, uh, that there are universities that are, that, that there are physical universities that are closing down and uh, have lost a lot of their, uh, uh, I guess, students and um, mm -hmm. all these other problems re relating to so uh, where does the problem lie? Where does this pro financial problem lie? If you look at uh, uh, all the category of expenses and how they've grown in the last 25 years, 
uh, education is 4x of where the CPI index is. So mm, the CPI index oh, in the last 25 years has gone to 55% from where it was 20 years ago or 25 years ago. I have a chart here. And yeah. uh, if, if, if you look at education, it's increased 210%. So um, 4x of where, of, of, of regular, uh, and, and it's the cost of textbooks and, and it's tuition. And it's, it's, it's not stopping. I mean, right now it costs, uh, uh, I, I'm paying $80,000 for my daughter uh, at this point in time. And uh, I think in a few years, it's gonna cross $100,000 per student per year in a decent uh, private university. And the thing is that uh, just, just if we just take a step back, I mean, sincerely, how many people can really afford it? How much financial aid is given? So. What, what, what we first did was, I mean, how much financial aid is provided? How many federal loans? Like there are students who basically, yes, there are, there are complete federal loans available. But again, the problem is that income has to be below a certain level, uh, et cetera, mm -hmm. and there are all these rules. So folks who are really like, if, if it's two hardworking parents, and if those two hardworking parents basically collectively, let's say, make like a, a buck twenty-five a year, one hundred and twenty-five thousand a year, there's no way they can put yeah. four, four students, four children, or three children through school. So what's what's right. what's the the bonanza is in all these um, student loan companies, right? If you see the growth mm -hmm. of student loans, it's today it's greater than the auto yeah. auto market, the auto loans as well as credit card loans in the country. So and 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 there's no sign of stopping. They're adding probably. 120 billion to 150 billion a year of uh, student loans, and the problem again being is that um, the main problem is this cost of getting educated, and the and 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 folks not having the means, and then um, the other cost the, the other part is that uh, the problem just keeps getting compounded with the with 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 all that's going on. Um, when I graduated college. I also did an MBA. I didn't have any, really any help from anyone, but had a small fellowship, had some work study and uh, allowed me to graduate debt-free, right? <clears throat> when your tuition yeah. is 60,000 a year, I mean, what, what's a work study program gonna dent? It's not gonna do anything to uh, help a student out. So, uh, so, so that, is, that is the crux of the problem. Yeah. And then get compounded by many, many more things. Yeah, I well, and I was going to say, so you start off with this like extremely high uh, cost of education that gets compounded with right now. We're kind of in this weird phase, I think, in society where, you know, you have some people on one side who are like, you don't need a college degree to to succeed and get wealthy and get far in life. And then you have this other side of society that's like, um, Yes, but every job posting you see on LinkedIn or Indeed or on your local job posting requires a degree. Like, so I'm in the sales field, like I, I'm a sales guy. Um, and it's amazing to me when I look at some of these job postings for, you know, uh, an entry level sales job, maybe like a sales development representative or maybe an entry level account executive position, like either one of those, they're requiring bachelor's degrees. And and then and then you look at like, what are they doing? Like, okay, so do you want a bachelor's degree in sales or something like that? And it's like, no, we just, we don't care what it is, but a requirement is any bachelor's degree period. And I'm, that just blows my mind because I, I'm of the belief that 
you don't need a degree to learn how to sell. Like you just need to go sell something. You know what I'm saying? You need to find a mentor in the field and you need to see if it's for you and then you'll be successful. Like that's how I started. But um, so you have these entry level positions that just like don't need it. Like they require a degree, but you don't need a degree for it. And, And so it's a real battle there between employers and employees. So there's a lot going on in that space as well. I think lots of companies, lots of people, they realize that that, that is going on. Um, the first platform we build, it's called Scholarful. Scholarful.com is what it is. And it's an aggregator. It's a scholarship aggregator that lets students find scholarships. And so they can multi, they can want to click apply to uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of scholarships. Now, there isn't enough money for all the kids out there to be able to get at least we're trying to make it convenient for kids to at least be able to apply for um, a lot of money, right? And even if it's private money. And then the next thing we try and ensure is that that, that money doesn't leak. So if it's 10,000 uh, for the kid, then it goes 10,000 goes to the kid's tuition and it doesn't basically uh, leak away in expenses and consultant fees and all of those things. So that's the platform. So as part of this application process for this platform, we make students uh, fill in, I mean, the students have to fill in like a personal essay and why they're looking for money. And Dalton, some of these essays, they're gut-wrenching. These are kids, sometimes they're coming from like, let's say even if they're coming from underprivileged or middle-class backgrounds, but they are conscientious, they are astute, and they understand that debt is a big problem and they really don't want to take on $200,000 worth of debt. They're working three jobs, they're tutoring kids, Etc. They are trying the best they can, and sometimes they write these essays. When we read them, uh, it's it's definitely brought a tear to almost everybody's eyes uh, in, in on my whole team, you know. Uh, and yeah. and sometimes we'll, yeah. we'll we'll be able to read these essays and know, okay, what is a kid really going through, right? And so this is across the country. I mean, uh, really across the country, we find uh, lots and lots of students are hurting, and lots of parents are hurting. And the students are talking about their siblings. They were my brother. He, he has 250000 of debt. And uh, yes, he had a great time in college, but now he's making 45000 a year somewhere mm-hmm. in uh, Tennessee. And, and so uh, we, we, we see all these kinds of uh, uh, wow. essays. And it's really a travesty. I mean, I came to this country to do my master's, and of course I uh, stayed on and got some uh, great opportunities and uh, uh, basically, the hotbed—I mean, the, the the heart of this country—is consumerism, right? And uh, and and these yeah. kids, right? I mean, it's built on America's built on consumerism. And then what I notice is that we we have employees who are thirty years old and they're staying with their parents. We have yeah. employees who are not getting married. We have people who we know who are basically not buying a nice car and forget going to a nice restaurant. Uh, uh, and 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 this is quite pre- this is only going to get prevalent. I mean, more more so uh, today. There are of the 16 million uh, kids who basically are attending college. More than 11 million are taking on student loans. At least that's what our research shows us. And and it's a travesty at this point in time. Wow. And what's going on? So so, so you just, so you said there's 12 there's 16 million students who are taking student loans and or excuse me, there's 16 million total students and 11 million are taking out student loans? Yes, yes. Oh, wow. It might be even higher. I mean, um, the latest number that my team told me was 70% of students going to public school and uh, or state schools 
uh, I'm sorry, state universities, and 85% of, of students going to private universities are taking on student loans. Oh my gosh. That's insane. Because don't there's you a think huge there's a huge, what, we, what we also see in these applications is there's a huge gap. First of all, they have to fill out what are their means, right? Their parents' savings, grandparents' savings, uh, their school, financial aid from school, etc. So they, they have these, and then basically on what's required for them to study. So the gap is what they apply for and, and, or, or on scholarships, etc. So we notice this gap. We notice where the... Uh, oh, and and it's an ever widening gap that they're having. Yeah. To deal with. Yeah, I yeah. can't imagine that. So, what do you think is driving up the cost of education? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I know, big question. I'm just curious because in my yeah, head, I mean, I, uh, whatever the business planning that I mean, universities to some extent know that students, just like what you said earlier, that bachelors. Um, um, this job requires a bachelor's and that's it. And obviously another situation is that um, it's, it's, it's general consensus that if you have a degree, you're gonna advance more in life. You're gonna, there's gonna, there's gonna be uh, betterment. Uh, your life's gonna be better than not having a degree. It's consensus, right? It's, it's just a general, uh, general consensus. So obviously parents want their students, their kids to do well, Students themselves have this uh, growing up thing that if okay if I go to a, a university and I graduate I'll have better career opportunities. So obviously that was there. So mm -hmm. what they're driving up uh, um, cost of tuition is that um, universities know that students are going to come no matter what. So um, they've been steadily increasing uh, uh, costs as they compete and as they become more, I guess, uh, research oriented. Um, their costs have increased as well, and uh, they basically have been increasing tuition for the last uh, uh, 25 years at a rate, which I said is like four times that of the infl inflation rate. So that's been going on. And so that is the main reason why um, uh, tuition is going up. And then also there was some, there was some uh, uh, legislation that was passed in 2005 that emboldened um, um, the student loan companies to basically offer student loans to students. And uh, um, so student loans was less than like, I think um, 150 billion or like maybe even less than, less than that uh, at the turn of the century. And now it's 1.7 trillion. So obviously um, um, some legislation was passed and I can send you details about it, that, that yeah. um, student loans never go away. The debt never goes away, no matter what happens. And it's definitely yeah. emboldened all of those as well. So it was a it was a perfect combination of universities continuing to hike up their 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 uh, tuition. Um, well, sometimes at like eight percent a year, sometimes seven percent a year, and uh, and 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 uh, on top of that, knowing that these students need these degrees to advance in life, and then uh, also on the other side, supposedly there was ready money available. Uh, in terms of loans that were available to fill the gaps, and um, uh, and 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 again, the point again being is, how long can this continue till something drastic that needs to happen, uh, and 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 how does it break? Uh, because it's not sustainable over the long term. It's just not going to be sustainable. There no, are many no many way. parents. There are many parents and students. So what you just said is 
is is happening at this point in time. I'm sure there's a debate in every household before a large student loan is taken up that uh, do I need to go for this degree or should I do something else that probably maybe doesn't need a degree but also doesn't let me take on and that I won't be I won't be taking on a lot of debt. Yeah, I mean that's what that's what me and my wife were going through when when I was trying to figure out if I was going to do my MBA. Uh, and we put it off for for a while because, um, yeah, the cost was just in, insane. And it, and at the time, like there was no real direct result of getting an MBA. Um, but eventually, like I found a really affordable program, and uh, you know, there's a few other things. So so it ended up being justifiable. And I paid off my bachelor's degree, so I don't like my MBA debt will be the only student debt I have, and it's and it's very little. But for me, it's it's this kind of like, uh, and maybe you can give me your two cents on this. Maybe I'm like, uh, maybe this is just very tip of the iceberg. But for me, it's like when you have these federally backed student loans, you have guaranteed money. You know, these kids can't afford it, but they have to have it. Um, and the government will pay you. And there's no, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't feel like these these colleges and these private or public are running on any kind of like, actual capitalist model of like risk reward, because I don't believe that if a college knew that they weren't going to get paid back for that loan or excuse me for that degree, like if they offered it and they knew they, there was no way uh, that even if they got the highest paying job in that field, that they, that that student wouldn't be able to pay that loan back. You know, you have a real problem. Like I don't think they would e- either the co- that it wouldn't cost as much or they wouldn't offer those kind of degrees, you know, like, so I, so I'm feeling like the, we kind of run into this crony capitalism model that are that we have in these colleges right now. Oh yeah. Uh, so the loans are being offered. I mean, more and more so. They are obviously they are federally guaranteed, but more and more so, uh, they were private lenders now. And uh, mm-hmm. also the other part is that a lot of these kids don't know what they're really signing up. Right when they just sign when you're yeah. like you're like 17 or you just turn 18 and you're signing on the dotted line and. And 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 they've pretty much told you that you're not going to pay anything till you're in college. So, um, so so again, it's a combination of all of this that's happening. Yeah. Wow. Uh, again, like I said, uh, where does it break? How does it break? I don't know, but it's untenable to, to us. It's untenable. But in the meanwhile, a lot of these, a lot of students are getting hurt. A lot of students mm-hmm. are getting hurt. They are graduating with with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. We are also brought to you guys by Monarch Social. Now, Monarch Social isn't just another social media marketing company because they're going to take care of you on all your digital marketing fronts from SEO to beautifully designed websites to custom videography. And if you want to know more about that, you got to check out the video they did for me uh, on the Thinking Project Facebook group um, because it was absolutely phenomenal. They absolutely killed it. Morgan and his team take really good care of you. They walk you through every step of the process and the communication is on point. So if you need a custom video, a beautifully designed website, if you need uh, custom social media ad campaigns, Monarch Socials, where it's at. They also have a podcast they release every Friday where they bring you a ton of value. So check them out, monarchsocialbrand.com, or you can find them wherever uh, you're on social media because they're probably there too. So check them out, monarchsocialbrand.com and get your digital marketing rolling. And uh... And uh, and 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 when they really get into the job market, I mean, the, they they really are not going to be making that. So on average, or at least what the stats tell you today is on average, mm-hmm. it's taking them about twenty-two to twenty-four years to pay back that debt. 
and they're probably like if they're taking like it's like a mortgage, right? And if you're if you're taking a hundred thousand in debt, they're probably paying about two hundred back with interest and other other things. But 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 that's but, crazy. Yes, but to me the issue is that the very the very foundation on what America's built on that's basically going to get hurt or is getting hurt by these students because certain behaviors are getting inborn into them or basically manifesting in different ways and um, yes. and 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 I see it I mean we all see it we all see folks who are not getting married at the right age we we, we are you know, living with their parents not buying nice things uh, having a phobia about uh, what we are built on what what this country is built on which is consumerism yeah, it's it's bananas. Well, and I think when you talk about because I was just having a conversation uh, with a with a friend of mine about this the other day, where it's just, it's so debilitating. You do everything right, you know what I mean. You graduate high school. You even if even if you do as much as you can to pay for school, then you go to college, you know, and and you get married. You do all the right things. It feels like, and and it's still not enough. Like you know, you still. And and you look at some other things that are happening, like if, if people do get married um, or not, they're not having as many children. That's going to be a big issue in the next little bit is like people are afraid to have kids. People are afraid to start businesses. People are afraid to do all of these things because. Like, you know, the, it's just because of the situation that we're in. And then on top of all of that, you have people pushing for like what I would like to see and what I would think that is a big disruptor in the education space. And maybe you can tell me about all three of the companies that you have going on. But, but one of the things that I see is like some kind of credentialism, like we have to be able to, you know, I, I don't know, just there has to be more like emphasis on skills and what you actually can do rather than like where you went to school. Um, and I feel like we're, you know, we're in 2022 almost. And there is that kind of feeling that you are your own credentials, but we're just not there yet. Yes, so that's another one of our platforms, uh, which is uh, the purpose. If the purpose of going to university is to get a good job, then uh, there are lots and lots of these large companies, large and small companies, who have sp specific skill sets that they need. Just like what you said, for a salesperson, for a good salesperson, you need certain types of training, and you don't necessarily need a four-year college degree. So yeah. um, uh, we are basically, uh, the, the, the second platform is called Specky. The website is specky.org, S-P-E-K-I.org. And basically it's a platform for um, students, which is about 17, 18 year olds. If, if, you, if you're not gonna go to university, you can go and get into it. It's, it's more of a vocational and a technical training program. And we have uh, uh, one of the world's foremost education developers who's actually de developing content with us in conjunction with certain large corporations, and uh, which is very tailored to them. And then the other part is that uh, we were able to partner up with the, with, the, with, with, with the Department of Veterans. And the veterans also face, there are 250,000 veterans who are coming out of the army every year, um, the, all, not, not only the army, from all four um, service uh, uh, areas. And um, they are often underemployed or they are often uh, unemployed, right? So um, uh, it's basically also a, a ability to give them vocational and proper training so that they can get into 
uh, into in proper employment into these companies uh, that have basically become charter members of this particular organization. So, so, so yes, I mean, we are building something uh, which has a practical need and uh, is, 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 is liked by all the parties concerned. And uh, uh, <clears throat> I mean, university is gonna stay, there's no issue there. Uh, we're not trying to build an alternative to university, but what we are definitely trying to um, give people a choice is that if they do not uh, wish to go to university because of costs, then at least they have the, um, the ability to go and find a career without uh, having a, um, and, and, and have a clear path towards a career and be able to compare if, if I do this, if I become a digital marketer, these are my mm -hmm. career paths. This is what I can afford to make. This is where I probably will land up versus being a healthcare aid worker or versus being like somebody who jabs you the COVID test in terms of all of those. I mean, all of those don't really require a college degree, right? So, right. but, but, right. but, yeah. uh, <laughs> but giving people a clear understanding and proper training, which is actually very tightly coupled with employers, that is definitely something that we are attempting. Yeah, and what's, you know, that's what I'm kind of talking about, I guess, because we've fallen into a trap on both sides. Like either you start like this alternative education where you credential, you know, young America, um, or you kind of back away from credentials altogether. I was reading in the Wall Street Journal where like they were arguing, uh, one of their op-eds was arguing um, that we maybe we've become too credentialed. Right. So like to get a journalism degree, you know, to get a journalism job, you got to have a journalism degree. And do you really need a, a four year, hundred thousand dollar degree to be a journalist? Or can you start because I'm from so I live in Utah, but I'm from Iowa. And one of the big things where I'm from in the Midwest is, you know, we're, it's very industrial. There's a lot of manufacturing. There's a lot of farming there. And a lot of those those positions start out as apprenticeships, right? So, you know, um, like maybe a lineman or a welder, you know, you start out as an apprentice, you, you get a little trade that maybe a couple grand um, that maybe your company <coughs> pays for. You go be an apprentice for less money than you would be as a full welder or, you know, a fully credentialed welder. Um, and you just take time and, and you go in there, right? I feel like, you know, with this with this consumerism trap that we're in, we also are in this, like I want it now phase, right? So if I can spend rather, you know, if I can spend four years learning about welding, you know, and get a degree uh, versus having to work for four years, um, you know, there might be something there. And I'm wondering if like, yeah, are we too credentialed? Do we just need to go back to maybe like some apprenticeships? Um, I don't know. It's just a weird it's a weird space. And that's kind of like, I'm like really drawn to that edu education disruption space. Right, right. But like I said, um, Dalton, I mean, we, our parents, our grandparents, us, um, we all uh, are steeped into this tradition of wanting a degree and a degree is the way for advancement and all of that. So I think, I don't think that's going to change that soon. I think the mindset of the country is that but I think there's there are enough people who are willing to challenge that, especially in, in view of um, um, the debt that they're going to take on or, or the means they have. So in, in as in everything in life, you got to start somewhere. And uh, <laughs> so um, I'm we I do see a 
um, I do see uh, a little um, programs like what we are attempting to do uh, come into light, which will, which will serve a certain portion of of, of, of people, of students. And uh, and if, if they do notice, hey, listen, I can get into a six-figure job in what, five years or 10 years of working hard, et cetera. I mean, for, there are tons and tons of jobs and I, I can tell you where they are in real estate. I mean, to be a broker, to be an assessor, to be an appraiser, to be a title person, you don't need a degree, right? Then right. in healthcare, right. in healthcare, as I just mentioned a couple of examples, there are probably a hundred more. Then in digital marketing, right? Um, and, and lots and lots of folks want to be entrepreneurs now. And to be an yeah. entrepreneur, basically they... Uh, and or to own a franchise, etc. So we're seeing all of those, all of those, those happen, and uh, and 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 so so uh, as uh, I think uh, um, uh, technology changes everything, is changing everything, is disrupting everything. Um, a couple of other things that are coming to notice. I mean, something that was I mean before COVID, we 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 never imagined that uh, uh, that an online degree would. We, we thought, I mean, like the mindset was that an online degree was always like um, a, a second fiddle to in-person training and in-person college and all of that. But sometimes mm -hmm. something that was not even considered possible before COVID, it's now the preferable way, you know? So mindsets yeah. have changed, things have changed, and it, opportunities will come up because of that. Problems will get disrupted because of that, because of how things have changed. So, like I said, we have to start somewhere. and. And I, I do see innovation happening in, in, in this front. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned two of your the companies. Um, you mentioned Scholarful and uh, Speaky. Um, what's, what's your other uh, education company? The third education company is the one that I'm doing with Ben. And Ben is basically um, uh, a key part of it. And it's basically is to tokenize. Uh, it, it, it's in the crypto world. It's to bring opportunities from from the crypto world into the edtech space, and uh, basically benefit more and more students because of that. And so that's basically a platform called Scholar, and uh, 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 that's what we are attempting to do to, to 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 use the benefits of blockchain and use the benefits of crypto to be able to uh, benefit even more and more students. So, how do you benefit more and more students with the technology of blockchain? Because I think I had this idea burning in the back of my head that there's some use of the blockchain technology to disrupt the education space, but I couldn't I couldn't put my finger on it. So tell me more a little bit more about that. Well, there's a whole matter of use cases that actually can be done, and I think they're going to be done over like there's a four or five year roadmap on what what needs to be built and how it needs to be. But uh, initially, what we are doing is as we do want to help more and more students, uh, we do want to be able to go out and uh, um, tokenize some of the scholarships that we are providing, and uh, tokenize some of the and and bring some just bring some transparency into endowments and into how scholarship monies are dispersed. I mean, the blockchain is a perfect way to bring transparency to uh, what is usually a very opaque uh, industry, which is again called philanthropy. Um, if you give a hundred or a hundred thousand dollars to certain places and I won't I don't want to take any names I don't want to put anybody down but again I sure. think I just think that the technology uh, should bring uh, uh, transparency and solutions uh, where uh, hundred percent of what is paid out is purpose for the right purposes 
And there's no better place to record it than in a distributable ledger, right? Using blockchain, whether it's private or public or whatever, whatever is cost effective, definitely. So uh, we are attempting to find, provide solutions um, around that at Scholar. And so, but also take advantage of certain other things like uh, the DeFi yields are amazing. And so we, uh, uh, those can actually bring a higher return and generate more scholarships for uh, monies already earmarked to go to students. So um, um, that's one of the first use cases that we are attacking. And then down the road, um, uh, there are lots and lots of things that can happen. There are marketplaces that can be built, tech marketplaces, uh, payment mechanisms, um, you know, giving students the ability to win or earn uh, um, enough to be able to pay for their education. And uh, if crypto can even... Or, or, or if this industry can facilitate even a small portion of it, it'll definitely help students out. So, like I said, we've got a, we've we've got plenty of use cases. We've got plenty of traction right now, and 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 it's a four or five year project. Wow, well, that's fantastic. I think uh, I think that's a a lot of really great things. Like I said, it's one thing that I'm really passionate about because so many people you know education is so important like that's one that's that's the ticket out of poverty right like and and the american dream like that you know becoming educated uh networking like all of these things but i just i feel like a lot of things have crept in to kind of impede a lot of people to get a, get an education to further their education in a traditional sense although with the internet now like you know, you can learn pretty much anything and, and get enough to get going, right? Uh, like digital marketing, for example, like for sure, you don't need a degree for that. Um, you know, you need to know a few things, uh, but but I have friends who teach people, you know, coding, for example, um, you know, teach you how to code, build a, build a little portfolio so that you can go start getting jobs because, you know, you may not need a degree, but you do need some kind of proof that you know what you're doing. Um, but there's all kinds of ways to do that. And I think that that's where I would like to see the focus is like proof that you know what you're doing, not necessarily that you what, like where you learned it. Um, so digital marketing, you know, there's a lot of ways you can prove that uh, sales. There's a lot of ways you can prove that. I don't know, you know, a lot of other ways you can do that. I would also like to see, you know, I've talked to a lot of people about this, but I would also like to see the whole resume and like job application process get disrupted as well. I think there's a lot of things going on there that I'm just like, it's, it's bonkers. It's bananas. No, absolutely. I, I think you bring up a very good point is that uh, let's take digital marketing, right? Um, mm. If today, if somebody has is an expert on Google Analytics, mm. right, or is an expert on Facebook manager, ad manager, or is an expert at uh, um, a, a lot of these technologies at this point in time, I mean, you, you are sure shot getting a nice offer out there for you because they're yeah. There's great demand for these for these skills, right? But at the end of the day, if you look at the world is moving so fast, but if you look at what universities and what like some of the traditional uh, uh, places of education, what they're teaching, I mean, they're still a little bit further behind in terms of uh, bringing people up to skill up to, up to speed on the latest skill sets that are actually uh, prevalent in the marketplace, right? Um, yeah. There is a there's a language called Solidity. Solidity is in which anything to do with Ethereum, like you code in there, and there's a great shortage of good Solidity programmers. So 
it's more word of mouth, it's more community oriented, and it's more self oriented that people are taking it on their own to be able to learn this and then finding opportunities. So mm -hmm. the world's moving at lightning speed, and 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 I think that there's an opportunity that we have to bring all these um, uh, uh, prevalent subjects. I mean, what's what may be pre and and also uh, some of these may have a longer longer shelf life. And some of them may just be like, uh, okay, it was great for one year, created great opportunities, and then it was replaced by something else. So the world's world's moving at lightning, the technology is moving at lightning speed, and I think it's only going to get faster and faster. And mm -hmm. uh, and and I'm not sure that the traditional ways keep up, you know. So the, yeah, that's another um, that's another place where opportunity exists for folks who want to be yeah. able to take advantage of it here. Yeah. Wow. Well, I really appreciate uh, that. You know, I, I'm really excited to follow your your journey and Ben's journey, uh, and I'm and I'm definitely going to keep a, a close eye on that. But uh, and I really appreciate your time. I know that uh, I know that it's late late over on the East Coast, so I'll, I'll give you your night back. But I appreciate it. Before we go, though, um, could you recap uh, where everybody can get involved with some of these uh, tech companies that you have going on uh, if they want to learn more about those? Uh, where, where can they go to find those? So our scholarship uh, uh, aggregator is called scholarful.com and our uh, uh, our education company is called specky.org, S-P-E-K-I.org. So these are two places where folks can actually come in and, and connect with us. And uh, okay. uh, if they have anything to add to us, we surely we'll welcome them. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that uh, that could be a, a, a great starting point. Perfect. Well, uh, again, thank you so much for being here, and I, I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Nice to meet you.